Welcome to the Micro Business Podcast, the UK's first dedicated podcast to micro business. We navigate the journey to micro but mighty together. My name is Alex Hughes, and my love for micro business is the heart of everything I do. From this podcast to the programs that Shift Momentum runs, and the well over 1,000 members in our micro business community called Shifties. We talk about everything that is unique to micros, like side hustles, marketing ideas, and learn from entrepreneurs that have already completed that journey. Be sure to check out our Substack to get more of this in your inbox and follow the Micro But Mighty hashtag. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Massive thank you to Shift Momentum, who is the engine behind everything we do, the powering this podcast, and the Shifties community for the beautiful, passionate members within it support each other every single day on the journey to building their micro but mighty businesses don't forget to hit the subscribe or follow wherever you're listening to this and share content to spread the word of the micro business podcast for us let's get into it okay welcome to my guest dan Knowlton. awesome to have you here mate thanks thanks for having me so it'd be great before we get into it, because I, I've got so much to, that I want to discuss with you today. Um, you know, could you just give us a little bit of background around yourself, uh, the organization that you represent and the mission that you're currently on and um, you know, how you got there? Mid, the, mid, the mid stories, not the long story and not the short story. Okay. <laughs> I'm not good at short stories, but I'll, I'll try. Um, so I'm CMO and co-founder of Knowlton. We're a creative video and social media marketing agency. Run it with my brother Lloyd, um, and we produce creative content, teamed up with paid ads to drive a trackable ROI for our customers. Started working out with very small businesses, small micro businesses, local hotels, that kind of thing, and have since kind of gone on to work with bigger clients like FIFA, Wall, Nestle, Eurotunnel, um, so really have had a lot of experience working with much smaller businesses, which I know a lot of your audience are in that kind of category and also medium and bigger companies as well. And also I'm the co-host of the Business Anchors podcast. So, yeah. Which is awesome, which is you and your brother, right? Yeah, yeah, it's fun. I mean, we, you know, we've grown up together, so we have a lot of interesting conversations about our childhood and stuff and sharing the kind of journey we're going on growing a business together, which is an interesting dynamic. So well, I mean, let's start there because, um, likewise, family business. You know, my fiance is the CEO. My brother does the CGI. My best mate does the mm-hmm. fabrication. You know, it's you know, I love the fact that you can build a business around and blend in your life with business. But you know, the first thing I was warned when we first started was don't do business with family. And I say do do business with family mm-hmm. because from from my perspective and just my justification i suppose is that you know if you're family or you're close then you kind of have to make it work because the relationship's not going anywhere you can be a bit more frank with each other you can fall out because you used to falling out when you used to yep. you know steal each other's clothes and <laughs> give each other give each other abuse and steal each other's girlfriends and whatever else i imagine <laughs> you know so what is your perspective on that and honestly you know has it always worked you know yeah i think i can only share based on my experience and my relationship with lloyd but we we're complete opposites complete opposite types of people and complete opposite sets of skills um and it works incredibly well um well when we were younger we used to fight and argue and i think we got to a point when i was about 12 where we kind of made friends and were like right let's just be a team um but yeah i think it works incredibly well and the the one thing that i love is that we both just want each other to be as successful and happy as possible so there's no ulterior motive there's no me thinking oh do you know what i might try and do my own thing over here and not include him and it's like we both just want each other to be happy and successful so there's there's no nothing's hidden everything's out there in public and we we share exactly how we feel with each other and because we've known each other for 29 years we feel comfortable doing that and there's you know it, it works really well but I, i've heard other family business stories that people fall out and they hate each other and stuff so i guess we've been quite lucky that it, it's worked for us do you do, are you intentional with that so do you have any kind of um you know, is it a strategic exercise that you that you make sure that you stay aligned? Do you do you have a board meeting? Do you you know yeah, how, yeah. what is the what is the strategic so, dynamic of your relationship? 
So we, uh, I think it's evolved as we've actually got more experience and now know what we're doing. When we started, had no idea, no structure. We both just did everything. So we didn't have our own roles or responsibilities. It was like, let's just figure this out. Um, now we've, we've got a lot more structure. We have a monthly management meeting, weekly meetings, daily meetings where we um, discuss the strategy and, and we've got like a, we've got a 2030 plan where we're, we're aiming like a 10 year plan, a loose 10 year plan that we're aiming yeah, towards yeah. to get to a certain position. So we're constantly talking about strategy, you know, and it's, it's ridiculous. We, we spend every day at work with each other and at the weekends we still hang out and talk work and that kind of thing. So yeah, we're also quite lucky in the sense that my dad's been in business for like 30 years. So when we started out six years ago and we had no experience, he helped us overcome those first kind of milestones of how on earth do you start a business? You know, hmm. how do you speak to people and send an email properly and all of that kind of stuff, which is interesting. <laughs> so you and you're both. Um, and, and I remember from the first time we met, um, you, you were very clear. You know, the, I, I, I'm, I'm CMO. I, yeah. I represent. Yes, I, I get involved in the creative, mm -hmm. um, but very much, he, the engine is your brother, mm -hmm. and you're kind of the the case of the business. You're yeah. represent champion. Um, you know, how, did, how long did it take you? Too um, long. Both to realize that. Too long. So yeah. I um <laughs> like when, when it, it took us for for the first four years of the business, it was just Lloyd and I. And we were figuring stuff out and we didn't really have clear defined roles and responsibilities. We both mucked in with, with everything. And honestly, I think I th it must've been probably two years ago that we both, I can't, I'm trying to remember the conversation. We go on a lot of walks and we have lots of discussions. And I think we both, maybe it was Lloyd that brought up and sort of said, your skills, you know, are in sales, marketing, presenting, mine are in, uh, kind of logistics, managing people. Why don't we actually properly define our roles? I think what triggered it was a few times things weren't getting done in the business because we both thought each other was responsible for it, but we didn't communicate with each other. So making those mistakes of like, have you done this thing for this client? Or, you know, have you communicated this and it mucked up? That's when we thought, right, let's properly define this. So we gave it ourselves job titles <laughs> and, and responsibilities and actually had a, a whole strategic day where we were like, right, what are you going to be responsible for? what are you going to be responsible for? And yeah, I'm sales and marketing the business and he's the CEO and managing the team and our projects and that kind of thing. So it works. Oh, when we started kind of properly defining that, it was so much better. Yeah. It's like way off. So it also enables you to scale, right? So you, you mm. can also see through that process of building out your org structure, you can actually see what are we missing? What's next? Like who, if we're going to bring in another superstar that's going to direct this element of the, the business, yeah. you know, what does that look like? And it opens a world and for that, right? It, it gives us, it allows us to have the time we need to achieve what we need to achieve in the different job responsibilities. So for example, I would be, prior to us having proper roles, I'd be mucking in with client work and delivery, but that would mean that I wouldn't have the time to do the sales and marketing for our business and the meetings and the calls to drive the business needed to fill the machine for the agency. Right. So once we properly knew, like my time is invested in this, I could then actually spend the time needed to, you know, uh, to have that marketing direction and, and that kind of thing. So yeah, works really well. And then everything grows like crazy. That was the point. I think so two years ago. So it was just, uh, us two for four years and then I think it, it it probably is around the time when we actually had defined roles that we then hired our first hire and then uh, in the last we're now nine people with hiring for three roles so there's 12 of us and that's just been in the last two years in the last year there's I think we've hired about four four people so oh, wow fantastic yeah it definitely it works because <laughs> i mean you know you can see from from our growth. it's funny though isn't it because we clearly you know similar similar roles you know both been you know where well, you've been seven years in in business now, six seven yeah yeah, yeah similar, similar sort of time period and it was about two years about two years ago i realized the same that i'm not a ceo i'm not i'm not a people manager i'm a leader in the sense that i'll lead the way and people will follow but i'm not I'm not a manager. I can't manage people. I'm useless at that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm way too aggressive. I'm way too, um, in my mentality mm -hmm. towards life. And, um, when you realize it, it just changes absolutely yeah. everything it opens a door.
What was your trigger then? Well, like, what was your moment of, ah, oh, now I've realized this. Was there something that triggered that? Um, I think we went through a period of time um, where we got a few things right at the same time, and that nice. triggered a massive growth spurt um, in, two, in three businesses simultaneously. And uh, we were all doing everything, like you say. So <laughs> yeah. I was... Um, so Christine was CEO across two businesses. I was mm. CEO in one, but we were both just doing everything together. Mm-hmm. Um, and way too many clashes. Um, you know, I, I would, I would change my mind almost weekly, <laughs> daily in terms of strategy. And I, I go away at the weekend. We signed off what we're doing on a Friday. I go away at the weekend, have an yeah. epiphany. Good and ideas, man. Everything's going to change, <laughs> you know, and then realizing that I'm happy with that. Um, because I know it's going there, <laughs> but I'm happy to go that way. Whereas, you know, everyone else was still trying to catch up with what I decided a week ago. So we needed to put a barrier between myself and the wider team. Because we, I mean, at the time, you know, pre-pandemic, we were on, you know, we we're about a place where we were employing nearly 60 people across the businesses. Oh, so, yeah. you know, it got to a point where we were no longer a micro business and we're starting mm-hmm. to move into becoming a small business in terms of the way we were operating and it just needed to change. So, you know, I, I now no, I'm no longer uh, in any leadership role within the organization. I represent and champion it. Um, I don't even know what to call myself anymore, if I'm honest. I'll just, I'll just say <laughs> Make a fancy job title. <laughs> we don't have, jo- I mean, we don't have job titles here internally. Mm. So um, that that's changed a lot, um, the way that we deal with things because you'll appreciate this, you know, you know, there's a big conversation at the moment. And I, I will pose it to you, the question, because it's a question that's being asked um, at a very wide level in terms of representation in the creative industry. You know, is a career in creativity a myth? And, you know, we've got a graphic designer here right now, a young guy who's come through a Kickstart scheme, mm. went to uh, college and university, trained as a studied as a graphic designer, qualified as a graphic designer, now works here. Mm. Um, and we're like, well, you, what you, so where next? Like, if you're a graphic designer, what, what creative director? Like, where do you go mm. after that? And actually, in the creative uh, industry, you you want to break the box down and say, well, actually, no, I'm I'm just a creative guy, you know. Mm. So we have, um, so for instance, Tom Cubis is uh, he's called the creative pest. Uh, we've got <laughs> uh, Dan, who you've met, um, yeah, who's the digital bearded handyman. Um, <laughs> you know, Sarah's ops whiz. Mm. Um, you know, we we try to break down those barriers. I do think that's something that needs addressing in our in the world of entrepreneurship because um, we're you know it doesn't work at a startup a micro level. I don't think. Mm. Um, but saying that, you know, I mean, I've been researching this, and HubSpot did this when HubSpot mm. first started. They didn't have um, they didn't have teams. They had squads. Mm, they had um, they operated in a, without without a linear structure. Yeah, and they said, and the HubSpot CEO said it was absolutely mm-hmm. chaos. But <laughs> it was from a creative point of view, it was phenomenal. Yeah, we we're we're still figuring it out. We've got quite a flat structure, and also we've got um, an open plan office, aka just one huge room that can be broken up. We've got like moving furniture on wheels and stuff, but oh, nice. which is it's kind of cool because it, it helps us um, with, with collaboration, and it doesn't feel like there's anyone in kind of their you know, a glass box that's more important than anyone else. But also it's, it's, it's annoying because when doing things like there's a podcast, everyone has to be silent. And when I'm doing sales calls, so we're currently building out the studio downstairs with some extra space so that, um, but we're we're definitely, sorry. (laughs) Basically just to put you in it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Everyone gets really annoyed because I, yeah, I I ask people to be quiet all the time, but, but yeah, I think we're, yeah, we're, we're trying to have more of a flat structure. So it doesn't feel like we do have more like a leadership team who, you know, we speak about the bigger strategy and the projects and then they'll go and, but I think we do, we are trying to keep it quite flat. So it doesn't, yeah. Cause we don't want that kind of really corporate vibe of go and speak to the, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. person above you. So it's important, man. Now it'd be interesting to see how that, that changes in the, the economy and how, how the new, you know, our generation of entrepreneurs come through and change things, you know, led by yeah, you know, great, great leaders like Stephen Bartlett, people like that out there mm. that I know that we're both mutual fans of. Mm. Um, they're kind of changing the way that conversation is going right now, which is great. Yeah, and I think there's there's so much people sort of don't 
talk about, you know, we're all just figuring this out. I've never had experience of building a team and doing the perfect structure for how it should all work. We're just figuring it out. We've got a basic understanding of where we want to get to, but it's, you know, making mistakes, doing it wrong, and then thinking, oh, actually, just like when we didn't have properly defined roles, we're all just making it up as we go along. There's no one that knows the perfect structure or the perfect way to manage the business i think there isn't one there isn't one. I, mean, I, was watching, I, was watching, I was watching the last episode of um the latest series of dragon's den mm. and um uh, peter jones and Tej lavani were disputing how they look at pnl what sits above the gross profit line what mm. sits uh, b- below it and they both do it differently yeah and he's a he's a billionaire They're both very successful there's no wrong. There is no one way. Yeah. I think that is something that, you know, I do think that's changing. I do think the conversation around entrepreneurship mm. is changing. That it's about, you know, for me, entrepreneurship is a discipline. It's a mm. way of doing things and it's building businesses that um, solve problems that yeah. value people's lives. And that's what it's about. It's not about doing it by the book anymore because yeah. look, look at the most successful entrepreneurs in the world. Mm. They don't. They don't do things by the book. They're right. They're rebels. Have you Have you yeah. read the book called Be More Pirate? No, I haven't. You would love Be More Pirate, right? Who yeah, wrote yeah. that? Uh, I can't remember the name, but right. um, I'll, I'll send you the. I'll send you a link to it. But I tell you now, you know the pirates were interesting people. Obviously, not you know they weren't very nice people for, yeah. for many reasons, but they were the first to do many things. So, mm. for instance. Why they had um, hooks on the hands, yeah, the eye patches and peg legs and all of this stuff, Mm. right? Well, this is why, because at the time when they were fighting the navy, the navy, um, if you they didn't have social um, security or anything then, so if you lost Mm. a leg in the navy, you're on the streets and see later. Mm. Whereas pirates were the first people to say, if you lost, if you get injured during battle, you get X amount of money if you lose a leg and you stay in the team and we look after you. They were the first uh, culture. Um, to introduce same-sex marriage, um, they're actually quite—they're wow. pioneers in in what they what they did. So you'd I, never I, have I, thought that, would you? I just. <laughs> and we are the new pirates as entrepreneurs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's Definitely. what I like to think anyway. That's what I yeah. think. So I'd like to know a little bit more about your journey pre-business. How did you? So you because know, I've, I've kind of you know you seven years so what are you 29 so mm. you, you went through college university so. Yeah, I um, studied business at school, went to Brighton Uni for three years, didn't oh, learn a lot. That was messy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I always look back. Like, you I never, time, though. Yeah, I never want to regret anything, but I, I wish I took advantage of all like of the great support they offered. There were all these like networking things at the time. You could go into businesses and meet people, and I was just like, extra work? No way. <laughs> go to the pub. Um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so I went to uni for three years. Um and then got a job at Enterprise Rent-A-Car, which is the only company that would hire me, apparently. Uh, so, <laughs> What was like, that role? It was a graduate scheme. So you go in as a, a management trainee. And they basically, it, was, it ended up being a horrible job, but the, the experience you got, they, they teach you how to run the business, basically. You, you, work, you want to work up to a, a, um, assistant manager, branch manager, area manager, where you actually have to look at sales, finances, customer service, managing a team, and... You, you get trained up to be able to do that. But the problem I had was I was very, I, I am very driven and I was, you know, working, they, they do this thing called the grill, which is a very structured way of progression throughout the company. You get a massive booklet, you know, exactly what you need to do and the, and the, the bit, the kind of uh, points you need to hit to get to the next level. And then you do something called a grill where two senior managers grill you basically it's like it's very american and cheesy it's like an american company so yeah i can imagine it is <laughs> yeah um and then i think the, the trouble i had was i was i was probably I, I had one of the quickest promotions to assistant manager that the company had seen but i was promoted too quickly i was way you know i i honestly didn't I bet know you were unbearable yeah were you I, loving it i bet your, your ego must have been popping it was great, but I was under so much, like I was basically, I was managing a branch of like 250 cars, nine staff. And I had, I'd been there for like nine months wow. and it was, um, I think my manager promoted me too quickly. Basically I did the grill and passed and everything, but I didn't have the, 
I'm terrible logistics and trying to organize 250 cars to, you know, when, and you, it was just, ter- I ended up basically having a meltdown oh my and God. I, um, I was living in Crawley, um, by myself and, uh, this job opportunity came up, which was for another company in London. It was like my dream job. And I got a phone interview, but I didn't have any time to prep for it because I was working like seven in the morning till nine at night for enterprise, trying to figure stuff out of how it was going to work. And then I went home for this job interview, had it at like half nine at night and um, got onto it. And the guy was like, right, you ready for the jo- the uh, phone interview? Yep. And he asked me one question. I think it was like, um, what, what industries in business are working well at the moment? What industry would you go into? And I had no time to prep for it. My mind went mm. blank and I just fumbled a bit, hung up the phone and just dropped to the floor and like was in tears. Oh, and I was like, I've lost this opportunity. And then I quit enterprise, drove home to my parents basically and had a meltdown. <laughs> well, look, you know, that is, you know, that's so honest because that's, you know, that that's reality of what you know, the, these things happen and you can advance too quickly in life, especially when you're, you clearly got that, inner drive which mm. is obviously you know you've already said you've got a great support structure around you you've got a great family everyone wants to mm. support each other succeed it's it's clearly in your environment so yeah. you must have been really proud at the same time of what you've done at enterprise but it was actually hindering you from what you wanted yeah. to do so it was probably the best thing for your development right it was it was i'm glad i'm glad it happened now at the time it felt like my world was ending and i was a failure and you know, oh, I had this whole thing planned out where I was going to go to this other company in London and then work my way up the ranks there. But if that wouldn't have happened, then I wouldn't have started working for my dad's consultancy, then wouldn't have started our agency and wouldn't be where I am now. So I'm kind of glad I had a bit of a meltdown. <laughs> now, yeah, look, you know, that's what, you know, the good, most, good, most positive things come from situations like that. So yeah, it's awesome, man. Yeah. So, so now let's, so let's talk about the future then, because I'm interested in your insights and um, your knowledge because, you know, we again we we've had discussions off air around mm-hmm. this stuff, and I think it's you know, media is going to be essential. It is it's been essential for a while, but it's now the pandemic has made us realize it. Um, you know, what what does this look like for businesses without media? Like, how are they? <clears throat> what are they? What should they be thinking about? Yeah. If they're, you know, let's say you're where you were six years ago and, you know, you're pre 100K revenue, mm. um, you're kind of getting a bit of flow now, you've got your product, you know what you're up to, but you need to get started, you know it's important, where, where should yeah. people be starting? So I think the, the way people think about marketing is broken. Um, and again, I'm not on my high horse here because I thought like this until I figured out it didn't work until we found a better way, which is where we're at now. So that's great. P- people think, and, and I did as well, that marketing is about uh, just focusing on sales, like is about attracting customers and driving business, which yes, that, that, is, that is right. However, when you have that mentality of right, my number one objective is to grow the business, drive sales. Marketing is the tool I use to do that. I'm going to go out there and produce this content, which is selling my products, which is, you know, oh, I, I could be your accountant. You know, we could work together. Or I've got this great new drink that you can buy. And uh, people people are, are turned off by marketing now. Like if you think of it, it started with TV. So as soon as smartphones are out, whenever an advert comes on TV, what do you do? You look at your phone to get away from the adverts. You know, even now, like non-skippable YouTube ads and, and mid-row ads on Facebook, when you can't fast forward it, um, you know, you, you don't want to consume adverts. People you don't you like, divert your attention. You, you, you avoid it. Yeah. yeah. You don't like being sold to. Um, and most people's marketing revolves around selling their stuff. However, um, the solution is producing marketing content that people actually get excited to consume. Imagine mm. if your marketing, like think of think of your marketing like a Netflix series, right? Mm. So your your marketing, pe- people get excited. People spend hours of their time sitting at home watching Netflix. That's content, just like marketing is, because they actually want to consume it. But but not enough companies think of their marketing as something that their customers get excited to consume. And we we figured this out because 
the first year or so of us producing content, we were just doing what everyone else did. So I looked yeah. at like the top marketing, what's Gary V doing? Producing educational content. So we'd like produce some educational content. We tried so many different things and it worked okay. But in but 20 there's a lot of it in there. There's a load out there. Yeah, but we like it doesn't help you stand out. And in 2017, we tried something different. We were like, right, we want to produce a testimonials video because we had some good customers and you know small small micro companies, and we know that they'd had a good experience with us. But we also knew that a testimonials video of people saying we loved working with Dan and Lloyd, you know that that's boring. So what we did was we came up with this concept where we did go and shoot some content with our actual customers, and they were saying nice things about working with us. But we also dressed up as different characters, pretending to be our own customers, commenting on what it's like to work with us. And it was a bit witty and a bit fun. And, yeah. you know, um, and we posted it and we got like, at the time, this was viral for us. We got like yeah. 5,000 views and 100 comments. And we were like, you know, when, when it was tumbleweed with all our other content, this was like, wow, this yes, actually that's works. amazing. Yeah. And also people, it was the, the content that got the most engagement. Everyone was commenting it saying, this is brilliant. Also, it was a really heavy sales message. It was, it was our customers saying, these guys are great to work with. Go and work with them. So this was the first moment for us that we realized, like, wait a minute. If we produce content that people actually get, you know, it's entertaining and it's fun, but it's also strategically designed to overtly sell what we're doing in a non-in-your-face salesy way, we're onto something here. And that was the moment when we were like, right, we really need to, like, try, start trying this with our customers. Yeah. And the first kind of small business we did it with was a, a gym. So we produced these kind of gym sketches where it was like gym bros and it was tapping into yeah. culturally relevant well, I can situations. imagine you have a lot of fun with that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was our first bit of an experiment. Worked incredibly well. Um, and yeah, we got a great case study from that. And then from there, we then started to roll that out with more customers. And and I think, the yeah, if I to, to go back to your original question of what <laughs> should these businesses focus on, um, focus on... First of all, who is it you're trying to convince to do something? Who are yeah. those people? Like, what, what's the target market? What, what then, level of detail should someone go in at that target market piece? So, so yes, like age, gen, like where they live, that kind of thing. But the more important part is what are they, when they pick the kids up from school, what are they talking about with the other mums or dads? Nice. When they're in their mate's WhatsApp group, TV shows they're chatting about, what what like pop culture stuff are they references are they talking about how are they talking to each other that's the actual real gold you know like traditional target market age demographics gender. demographics yeah. <laughs> like that's important but what's what's actually more important than that is is the things i just said like what they actually care about right now because when you start to understand that you can start to create content that taps into those culturally relevant situations like we've done this with an Apple brand we've worked with, we we did this research and figured out that the target market were into like Game of Thrones, Dancing on Ice. These are the kind of TV shows they were talking about. We did this whole campaign where we integrated their brand. We had um, a David Attenborough voiceover commenting on an on an apple like a wild animal, as like when his Netflix documentary Our Planet came yeah. out. We had um, we had a guy on a horse who was like the number one Game of Thrones fan ever. Who was the, the who was the, the employee of the I company? I saw I saw this. Yeah, I saw this ad. Yeah, yeah, it's great. So he's just think he's just thinking cleverly, and I think if the the number one thing to remember is if your marketing looks like all of your competitors, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, and this is what we realized when we were just looking at what Gary Vee did and other marketers and being like, yeah, let's just do that. It's about thinking creatively and that cliche think outside the box um but yeah the genuinely you is definitely, that you definitely do that i mean it is i think it's is it fair to say you know, with with what you're doing the way that you're you're set up as a as an agency is you've got science and you've got the art so you've mm. got the demographics feed the science i.e that's what you plug into your ad machine because that's where you want to hit them but if you only do that bit and you only create content that's directly aligned to that bit, you, what most people, what you're saying is there's a lot of en energy on the demographic side, but actually yep. on the uh, cultural awareness, on the psychographic exactly. side, that, that's where there needs to be more energy. And you usually, you know, some of the clients we work with are quite big brands and they already have an in-house team who are doing some amazing stuff. So the challenge for us is like, you've already got experts in your company doing this, but usually they're only doing one of those things well. 
Whereas the way when we've come in, we get the art and the science right. So yes, we we have the data to know what your customers actually care about. And we have the creativity to create content that they're going to tag their mates in and go, oh my God, have you seen this? It's amazing. And, you know, we've, so for example, we we worked with a Whole Foods company and they already had an in-house team and they were getting like five return on ad spend. When we went in and we brought the art and the science together, we ended up getting 14 return on ad spend wow. from, and they were already doing lots of good stuff. So it's, yeah, it's, so it's you're fun. selling money is what you're telling me. You're selling money. Yeah, yeah. Basically, if you want to buy some. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. So tell, so I'd like to know, and I think for, for the younger entrepreneurs that will be listening to this um, episode, um, <clears throat> moving into your relationship with sales, mm-hmm. because you, know, you study business at uh, university, and I'm yet to find a university module that actually teaches sales. <laughs> um and it's a fundamental, mm. you know, uh, like like or dislike Mr. Grant Cardone, um, mm. you know, for especially the way that he's reacted due to the pandemic, he does have a few quotes that we mm. can quote him on. And he does say one thing that I'd remind teams of a lot is, uh, you know, business without sales is just ego masturbation. Um, <laughs> and I love that. Um, it's, a, it's an absolute, you know, I hate the thing turnover is vanity. No, without turnover, mm. there is nothing. Mm. So, you know, what what's your relationship with sales question one mm-hmm. um how can we uh encourage and um have entrepreneur young entrepreneurs mm-hmm. that are moving into business mm-hmm. really embrace sales okay so to break that down my relationship with sales is i manage all of the sales for our business so the whole sales funnel and delivery and pitching and all of that process so i after doing it for six years, I feel like I have a really good understanding from my own experience of, of how to, how it can work really well. Um, in terms of my kind of advice, the, the first thing I think that, that really helped me was first of all, communication, getting confident, speaking to other humans is the very base level because, because sales is all about relationships and trust. And I'd say some of the things that we did early on was like going to, breakfast networking meetings, getting at, you know, when we knew nothing and we had no experience and we, we used to dress in suits because we thought that's what business owners do. Um, <laughs> we, all we, it, met, we all did it. We, we all did it. We all did it. And, and you get, just go out there and meet people and get good at making people like you, <laughs> which is, yeah. which is, uh, there's a really good book, how to win friends and influence people by oh, Dale beautiful. Carnegie. Yeah, yeah. The biggest lesson in that is, um, the way you get people to like you is by showing interest in them first and not just being all about you. So get good at ask, showing interest in others, genuine interest and asking questions and that kind of thing. That's kind of the base level, I'd say. Again, just from my own experience, that got me to a certain point. The next thing is um, whatever you're trying to sell, make sure you believe in it. Mm. Um, I would suck even right now with all my experiences selling something I didn't believe in because now I've got to a point where with our set, with our pitches and ourselves, when I'm you know pitching to some of the biggest brands in the world, I 100% believe and know that what we do delivers results because, because we've got the evidence to show that. So when I'm presenting to a potential client, I'm not selling to them. I'm saying, I, you know, we know your struggles because we've had this discussion before. Here's how we can help. Here's evidence of the results we've got for other people that look like you. We'd love to work with you. Let us know if you'd like to do it or not. And I'm happy either way. You know, obviously, I'd love people saying, yes, we'd like to work with you. But I feel comfortable that I've given them the evidence and we've, we've worked on this. So I think believing in what you're selling is super important because that, yeah. that people can smell that a mile off. If you're trying to sell, you know, flog something that you don't believe yeah. in, it's, it's so obvious. And, and, and leaning back into the stuff around the art of understanding your... Uh, audience you know how important is it to understand who you're speaking to you said it earlier early in your career you missed out on a massive opportunity at the time what was a massive opportunity to you mm. because you didn't do the research um how important is that piece of actually taking the time Crucial. to understand who who you're going to speak to not not just the who but understanding uh the challenges that they're facing and asking the right questions asking the questions to really delve into 
what the root cause of their problem is. Not just what their problem is. There's a really good book called Gap Selling by a guy called Keenan. That book has taught me the most about selling I've ever learned. And he really breaks down how to, how to ask questions in a certain way to uncover the root cause. And he talks about um, discussing where the person is now in terms of, you know, where are you now within your business? What challenges are you facing now? Then talking about what does the future look like? You know, in a year's time, where do you want to be? And then mm. figuring out that gap. Because you when there is a gap and you 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 ask the right questions to get to take that person on a journey of discovery to actually figure out the gap themselves and communicate it, then you can sell them something. Because when they're going, oh, actually, wait, yeah, I'm currently in this situation. In the future, I want to be there. There's a definite gap there. What do I need to do to, to overcome, you know, to, to get from there to there? Voila! But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you work with us. <laughs> I like that. No, it's really interesting. I am... Um... There's a, a, a wonderful um, network I'm part of in London called the London Leaders Network. And um, they get, it's my insight into the big corporate tech world in terms of how they operate, how they sell at a B2B level and thing. And nice. um, we had someone come in to do a kind of sales workshop with everyone and everything. And um, the question was asked because selling to consumers uh, and selling to kind of mid-level mid management sort of thing mm -hmm. You know, a great question is what keeps you up at night? But if mm. you're selling to CEOs and founders, they sleep like babies generally because they, <laughs> they, they understand um, their mental health. They understand um, their mental fitness. They understand how to perform. That's what we do. You're, you're clearly the same. We, we, we understand our brain because we need to. And I don't know about you, but I sleep like a baby. Yeah. Um, I, I'm stressful in the day. Eight it's hours. crazy. <laughs> Exactly. But <laughs> nighttime, but one of the worst questions you could ask a CEO or founder mm. um, is actually what keeps you up at night. And that like that, that understanding that the audience is so important. Yeah. At that point. I think also experience is so important. I'm, I'm still making mistakes selling nowadays and I've done it so many times, but the more, the more different types of people you go through that sales process with each time you learn something a bit new, you, you know, Oh, I positioned this in that kind of way and that actually really helped. And I could tell their eyes lit up when I said that, or, um, you know, this girl or this guy, I kind of said it in this way and they weren't really keen on that. And you just, it's a constant, constant process of learning and making mistakes and learning and making mistakes. And the biggest piece of advice I could give, you know, a micro business or a small business who wants to sell more is to practice selling more. Yeah. is to is to get out there and not just selling like i said before building those relationships getting used to speaking to other people and you know being a social chameleon knowing how to mold your personality so that to, to different types of people so that you can get on with them like like everyone does this everyone talks to their nan in a different way that they talk to their mates down the pub and it's a similar what thing in sales you need to figure out are you pitching to your nan or your mate in the pub <laughs> it's and true then, man well, then it's so honest and it's that's why I asked you a question because I knew mm. you'd give me an honest answer. And that is mm. the, the brutal truth of business generally. Get, yeah. get shift done, try stuff, mm. adjust, learn. And that honesty, on. you said honesty there. I think that's such another crucial point. I think early on in our career or in our growing Knowlton, I felt like I had to be something I wasn't. I wore the suit. You know, if someone said, what do you do? I'd, I'd rehearsed this thing that I was going to say. And it's so obvious that you're not being your honest self. Whereas now, if you asked me something and I didn't have a clue, I would just say, mate, sorry, don't have a clue, you know, because I've got comfortable with myself. And I think other small business owners should try and learn how to do that as quickly as possible. And, and, yeah. and like stop caring as much about what other people think, which is easier said than done. But through experience, again, these are just the things I've learned that, that help with sales as well, especially that honesty. Do you think what, what's, what, what drives that? Because it, I mean, that's a cultural issue, isn't it? Generally, mm. that this as British culture, we're, we're terrible at that in mm. terms of, you know, I was once told I, I used to work in the pharmaceutical industry and, and work on international projects with different countries. And, and I was once told by a German company that, um, I'm not. I, I, they can't believe I'm British. I'm, I'm far too. I'm far too polite. I'm so far too honest to be polite. Whereas British tend to be too polite to be honest. Yeah. Um, what? Because it's. It's. I completely. I'm with you, man. I'm with mm. you. You. You know me now well enough. Mm. You know. I'm literally. I am who I am. Don't. Mm. No apologies. You know. I'll. 
I turn up as I am in the moment, mm. no, no matter what, and I feel amazing for it. Mm. I feel I don't feel like I'm having to perform anymore. And yeah. it's completely changed the way that my outlook on life. And you're clearly in that exact same boat. Mm. How, how, how do people get there? Because it's, uh, and I don't know the answer. Um, maybe you don't, but yeah. what, what's wrong there? Why, why aren't we doing more to encourage that? Because all you see on you know, Instagram, although it's, I, I don't know, maybe it's better for me because I'm very conscious around clearing mm. my Instagram feed and only following mm. genuine, authentic people. Maybe that's the answer. I don't know. Yeah. What do you think? I think? I think there's a lot of pressure from the outside world to feel like you've got to fit into a certain box. And I guess the first step, you know, and I, I'm not some expert in this, but the first step is is listening to this conversation and realizing you don't need to fit into that box. And, you know, from, from people like us who have, we're doing all right, you know, that approach of being yourself, unless you're an absolute knob, then don't be yourself. <laughs> but <laughs> if you're a nice person, I, I think just try, try and go to your next meeting or event or when you're, when you're out meeting people, try a different approach. If you feel like you're, you're in, the, in the stage where you're not being your 100% self, try a little bit being yourself and just see how it goes. And I guarantee if you're a nice person, that approach will be better. So I guess the, having the evidence of realizing that it actually works by testing it and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Well, you could do it, you know, proof of concept it, you know, I, mm. I remember once uh, walking into a mastermind, this is when I just, just started shift momentum. So it's about, I don't know, just about three years ago ish. Mm. Um, well, I was kind of thinking, right, okay, I'm going to do this thing. Um, so I went into this mastermind that I don't go to very often mm. and I went in there and I, and I said to them, I stood up and I said, right, I'm going to tell you all something and 95% of you're going to hate me for it. And 5% mm. of you're going to love me. And that's my mm. aim. And I'm just go somewhere completely cold, some yeah. horrible <laughs> early morning knee <laughs> yeah. generation club. Mm. I'm not going to mention names. <laughs> um, go somewhere like that. That's, mm. that you'd never intend to go to again mm. and just try yeah. and just be unapologetically you. In fact, I'll tell you the story. This is a good one. Um, but a guy called Bob Usher, one of my friends, um, went to school together. Um, very strange man. Um, <laughs> spent, some, spent some time in prison, uh, made mm. some mistakes. But then when he left, he started a great business, which was called Lawn and Order, which was perfect given he'd been to prison. <laughs> Um, and I remember being at this networking event, there's about hundred people in a room. He was sat next to, I remember vividly he was sat next mm. to me and he was like this, you remember what it was like. We've all been there. It's coming yeah. around to my term. I got my 60 seconds. Scary. <laughs> I said, mate, just stand up, be yourself, mm. say your piece and sit down. And he stood up and he went, you've got grass. I want to cut it. And everyone went, oh, and everyone <laughs> loved it. And, and he was chucking his leaflets around. He was, oh, I love that. And he was just being himself. Yeah. And he got so much business mm. versus someone over here with a super polished yeah. fake speech. And he's a guy yeah. who's like, I went to prison. I am who I am. I love grass. I love cutting it. Let me cut it for you. And everyone yeah. loved it. I think we all, we all want to cheer on that. We all want to cheer on underdogs and people who, you know, if you could tell someone's nervous at uh, speaking out, you want to cheer them on. You, you know, most nice people want other people to do well. So if you are, are coming across as, you know, just saying it how it is and it doesn't have to be perfect. That's way more, uh, you know, those people are way more likable because even if it was way more, if it was worse than a pre-scripted thing, that doesn't matter. It's like, no. you know, you're making an effort to try and be yourself. And I don't have the answers, but I think whatever you need to do to try that. And, Just yeah. try it. Get on with it. I like it. Love that. Love that. So um, now I'm conscious of time. Um, I just want to talk about Cambridge Social Media Day. Cool. Yeah. So we're a few months away. Thank you very much for being one of our speakers. I'm looking no forward problems. to that. So two parts to this. One, what's it like being a speaker? <laughs> and uh, two, um, do you have any idea of what you have planned for us for Cambridge Social Media Day? Okay, I'll answer two first. I haven't prepped it yet, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Legend. <laughs> but it will be something good. Um, <laughs> Honestly, I love it. No, it will be. I think uh, I spoke to Lenker about it. It's, it's something around marketing 2.0 and, and how nice. you need to flip what you know about marketing on its head um, with lots of practical advice and examples and case studies. So it's going like to it. be good. I know that. Um in terms of what it's like to be a speaker, amazing. I haven't, I haven't like pre-COVID, I was going around the world speaking on stages and it was wicked. And then for the last, since March in San Diego was the last event I spoke at in social media marketing world. And um, since then, it's only been either virtual events or, and that kind of thing. So 
yeah, it's... Um, You're looking forward to get back out there. Yeah, definitely. I think there's there's nothing quite like kind of being in front of an audience and, and yeah. And, um, what is it? What ideas. is... Um, what is that? Because I hate it. I oh, just, do you really? I'm not, well, I'm not speaking... I, I would never... I, put me in a room with, I don't know, 20, 30 people mm. and... I run a strategic session or a workshop yeah, yeah. start. Like I, I think I'm more of a trainer than a speaker, right, if that it. makes sense. Yeah. Um, I, I've got to do my, I've got a talk that I'm writing called Micro but Mighty, mm. um, uh, which I'm going to de- deliver at the end of this Amazing. month. Uh, the end of which is my first talk in a long, long time. I've done a few, mm. um, so I'm, o- I'm only asking selfishly now nice. um, from someone who's experienced in this. Yeah. Is it okay just to wing it? Oh, everyone's different. I couldn't do that. I, for me, and this is from experience of mucking it up before preparation is everything. And if I, if I'm prepared enough, I can just deliver something that feels like it's off the cuff, but with a really great information because I've prepped so well, that's Mm -hmm. my style of if I've, I I think some people, if you over-prepare, it becomes very rigid and very scripted. But for me personally, if I've, if I've prepared enough, I don't even need to look at anything. I just, you know, I can, I, I feel like I'm doing it off the cuff, but. So you don't again, script, so you don't, because I've done that where I'm like, okay, what I'll do is I'm going to go right here. I've got my cue card. I'm going to get some cue cards. I'll write so, down like a few lines. Next thing you know, I've got a full blown script. Yeah. I've rehearsed it and I'm like, yeah. I can't do it without the script now. So, so my approach, it varies. If it's an in-person event to a virtual one, it varies. If it's an in-person yeah. event, um, what I actually do is in the preparation phase, prep roughly what I want to talk about, the different segments. Then I do actually write a script as if, but I write it how I say it. So grammatically, it's all wrong, but I, yeah. I write it as if I was actually saying it. I kind of practice using that, but then when I deliver it, I don't do it off the script. I just remember I've practiced saying it in this kind of way so many times that I can just say it naturally and it appears natural and it doesn't appear scripted. Um, with virtual, it's probably a bit less scripting and more like, I think there's there's kind of less pressure if it's virtual. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's my approach. But everyone's different. There's some people I speak to that don't practice anything, just wing it and stand on a stage and just say, well, good stuff. Unfortunately, I'm not that good. <laughs> You'll be 10 years, man. You'll be all over it. It'll all be yeah. just there. What, what's your kind of, do you, do you prep a lot or are you? Um, I, I, I've, I've learned, learned that I, well, I've learned that just my, so I can't really write or read very well. So I left school when I was 14. So I didn't go, I didn't have a college university. I went, I didn't even pick up my GCSEs. Mm. So I, um, I can't really do that because I can't even read my own writing. Um, <laughs> so I, um, I, I do a lot of research. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a nerd when it comes to research. I really like complexity and I really like, so if it's something that I've, I, I obsess over a subject, then I will, I want to know everything about it. So generally uh, my plan with this talk, so I'll, I'll say my plan to prep this talk is that um, I've been signing off a lot of conversations recently with, I would give you the short story, but I haven't had time to write it. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's my talk. And that's how I'm going to do it. I'm nice. going to kind of t- tell the long story. So I've got, mm. my plan is that I'm going to have like six things that I want to say over the course of the conversation, uh, the, nice. the talk and how I get to each of those things. I'm not worrying about. Yeah. 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 You just get there. Yeah. And, and wherever that goes, you know, if mm. there's some interaction, I can lean into that. Um, if there's a story I can tell, I think I've got, I've kind of got to a point now. Well, I mean, I'm used to delivering last week we did, um, we had 85, um, students on a all day virtual work experience because a lot Mm -hmm. of kids haven't had work experience in the last year. So we wanted to give that experience to some people. And, um, I, but after about an hour, I have a plan. And then about an hour into it, you get a feel for the room and then you go, no, that's got to go now. We've got to go down this route. So I want to take the same approach with the way I do my talks, but I'll probably learn much like Mm. taking the advice you said earlier. I'm going to try it. I'm going to learn it. And then I'm going to do it my way. As you get more experience, though, it becomes easier to talk about stuff. I think even since my last thing, like almost two years ago, 
I've, I've, I've learned so much more about business. So I, I would feel a lot more comfortable just off the cuff. Like this is off the cuff. None of, I have no idea what you were going to ask me today. No, neither did I. It, <laughs> there you go. But it's, it's when you've, when you've got that experience, it's yeah. quite easy to pick examples of, Oh, I read this. Oh, this happened. And I learned that because you've got the experience in that topic, yeah. but it's, it's, it's how well, you know, the topic, like, if you if I did a talk on anything outside of marketing, I probably wouldn't have that much of a clue because I'm quite tunnel vision and that's what I know a lot about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think that's good for the industry because you know I, I think some of the best um, speakers out there, from someone who puts on events and things, um, I think most of the best speakers I've seen are people that don't label themselves as that's the only thing they do. Mm. Um, it's people like yourself that are actually out there doing things. Yeah, no, I definitely never thought I'd be a speaker. I, I think that that's just a byproduct of, of, I remember going to this event and seeing someone speak on stage and how everyone stared at them and listened to them. And I was like, my whole job is to try and get awareness and get new customers. So I need to be where she is. And then yeah. I was like, came up with a plan of, of how to do it. But... It's a lot easier to say hello once, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Nice, but, man. Well, look, Dan, this has been an absolute pleasure. I could talk to you literally all day um, <laughs> and geek out on, on some of this stuff even more, but I really appreciate it. Have you, could you, could we sign this off with just, you know, one bit of advice for your 16 year old self that knows that they want to become an entrepreneur long term and, and wants to go on that journey that we've been on? I'd say whatever you're interested in, past Dan, I'm speaking to you now, 16 year old Dan, whatever you're interested in, um, create something around that. Make a, learn how to make a website and create some videos about this weird thing that you're interested in. Create some social platforms and learn how to use those and talk about the thing you care about. No matter if that's going to be a successful business or not, because it probably won't, the skills you learn doing that will be hugely beneficial later on in life. So go and do that, Past Dan. Beautiful, man. Love that. And we will see you next time at Cambridge Social Media Day. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. Legend. I look forward to this well-prepared uh, speech you got. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Tom, man, I'll see you later. I am so happy that this is happening. I've got such an amazing um, array of different topics and subject matter experts and just interesting people, stories, lessons that are going to be coming up on this podcast. I, I, I'm almost using this as a bit of therapy for me too. So, you know, if you are signed, to my, signed up to my Substack, I will, I will be publishing a lot more content um, to share some of the journey behind this. But I want this to be your workout buddy. I said this, I want the podcast to support you and what you're doing right now. If you're building a micro business, this podcast is here to serve. Um, so if you've got ideas, you want to know something, you've got questions, never hesitate. Uh, drop me an email, drop me a DM, and let me know. And I will uh, happily, if I, if I don't know, I will find someone who does and we'll have a discussion about it. A huge thank you to the engine that is Shift Momentum for powering this podcast and the amazing and beautiful Shifties community for being the sponsor of this podcast. That It wouldn't make sense for any other organizations to sponsor this endeavor. And I'm really excited to share this journey with everyone. Thank you for listening. Oh, and I've been researching podcasts a lot. I must f never forget to ask you, please subscribe, please follow, please share content on social media that promotes and spreads the word of the Micro Business Podcast. I see it. I love when I see you do that. And um, I want to get this message out there far and wide to show micro businesses are the future of the UK economy.